Welcome to Safe Dividend Investing. My name is Ian Duncan McDonald. I'm author of Income and Wealth from Self-Directed Investing, which is available as both an e-book and as a print book from Amazon.com. Tonight, I will be reading from the first half of Chapter 4, of Income and Wealth from Self-Directed Investing. I will complete the other half next week. The title of the chapter is Chapter 4, Why Self-Directed Investing. It is very important that you understand with whom you are dealing when you enter a bank and encounter the employees selling the bank's investment services. Is the first loyalty a financial advisor has to the bank that employs him? Like all employees, an advisor's responsibility is to contribute to their employer's profits. The fees you pay are not going to the advisor. They're going to the bank. Advisors have varied compensation plans. But I suspect that the bank, not the advisor, gets the greatest percentage of any fees charged. Otherwise, the bank would be unprofitable and go out of business. The bank would most likely deserve the bigger share because it gives the financial advisor credibility and access to millions of potential customers. To maximize profits, it would seem reasonable that the bank would want the financial advisor to sell you investments that generate the most profit for the bank. If those investments also generate a safe income for you, that may only be coincidental. If the bank is paid a 5% commission when it sells one mutual fund versus another mutual fund, that is only paying a 4% commission, which one is most likely to appear in your portfolio. Customers rarely question their investment advisors. They do not normally ask why one mutual fund is being recommended over the thousands that are available. If questioned by a client, the advisor would likely respond with a jargon-filled explanation that would be both confusing and intimidating. Financial advisors are commissioned salespeople. I've managed large sales forces of both commissioned and salaried salespeople. The friction, disputes, and infighting between salesmen, their managers, and their customers was 10 times greater with a commissioned sales force than a salaried sales force. I used to spend a third of my time arbitrating disputes about who should or should not have received a commission from a sale. Commissions do not bring out the best in people. They encourage greed and ruthlessness. Salesmen are measured by their ability to convince people to sign binding contracts. If, in a month, a salesman's income can be doubled by how much he can convince you to spend on an investment, be assured that he will say, promise, and do anything it takes to get your money. I found I could grow a business twice as fast with a salaried sales force than with a commission sales force. It is much easier to gain and keep a buyer's trust 
with a salaried representative. Well, a salaried representative's job still depends upon them signing sales contracts, their monthly income is not directly tied into monthly sales. An annual incentive and salary increase would depend on many months of results. This dials down the desperation level. I suspect it would be almost impossible to convince the bank's senior executives that they could get better sales results if financial advisors were salaried. They seem unable to view their financial advisors as anything but independent businessmen, motivated solely by money. Many executives in the investment industry appear to be from the greed is good school. How salaried investment advisors could openly and honestly sell investments that are going to benefit the client perhaps more than the bank, would seem impossible to the bank executives. Like almost all commission sales representatives, investment advisors would be measured daily on how much money they have brought into the bank. To keep their jobs, they must meet sales quotas. To be deserving of a promotion, they must generate more sales than their peers. When an investment advisor receives the title of vice president, it is seen as a perk. It gives the advisor greater credibility with his clients. It helps increase bank revenue. The title costs the bank nothing. It is a cheap bonus for an outstanding salesperson. Therefore, beware of investment advisors with the title of vice president on their business card. These may be the real sharks. They have proven they know how to separate investors from their money. A large bank might have hundreds of vice presidents. The typical investment advisor is believed to handle as many as 150 clients. An employee on average works 2,000 hours in a year. If you divide 150 clients into 2,000, this, could, this would allow an investment advisor to spend 13 hours with each client. However, clients die. They get lured away by other investment companies. Some clients get discarded when they lose all their money after following their advisor's advice. There is a natural attrition rate which can result in investment advisors spending more than half the day hunting for new clients to replace the ones they have lost or will lose. To get one new client may require them to contact more than 10 prospective clients. They seek out lists of high-income individuals to approach. Some banks encourage the tellers in the bank branches to solicit clients. Some use the telephone and social media like Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and so on to promote their questionable ability to make people rich. Prospective clients are invited to lunch and mailed impressive brochures. Groups looking for cheap entertainment will often ask them to appear, give talks on preparing for retirement or setting up a registered retirement saving plan. The next time a bank teller suggests you should talk to our financial advisor, about the $250,000 you have in your savings account, 
recognize that you're seeing a bank prospect system at work. The time spent prospecting, doing clerical work, attending work reviews with their sales managers and other meetings leaves no time for an investment advisor to research how to increase the value of a client's portfolio. Therefore, the investment advisor must quickly hand an investor's money over to a professional portfolio manager. That money is added to a pool of friends funds from perhaps thousands of investors. Each investor owns a percentage of that pool. Hopefully, by delegating the actual investing to another employee, the investment advisor may have as much as an hour a year to communicate with each of his clients. Small accounts may not even get a phone call. Finding new clients is the priority. Existing clients are often taken for granted, which can lead to clients taking their money elsewhere. If you have a portfolio of a million dollars and are paying 1% to an advisor, this works out to $10,000. It is doubtful in a year that an investment advisor would spend even 10 hours with a million dollar client. Is an investment advisor worth more than $1,000 an hour for doing what you can do for yourself? As commission agents of the bank, investment advisors are running their own independent businesses. If they cut out early to play golf or take long lunches with their associates, no one will chastise them if they can do it and still exceed their quotas. Investment advisors are not the portfolio managers who invest the money. However, in establishing your portfolio, the investment advisor may suggest that they will be spending hours determining where best to place your money. They count on you not asking them to explain in more detail what they might have in mind. You're expected to trust them and watch the money roll in. There is little concern that you would question their investment proposals. The typical client is too timid and ignorant about investing to raise questions. If you did raise a question, those investment advisors are trained in the fine art of bullshit baffles brains. They will speak with confidence using investment jargon about incomprehensible investments. Clients nod as if they understand. After all, if they can't trust their investment advisors, who can they trust? The typical client judges their investment advisor by the increase or decrease in their portfolio each month. Investment advisors must pray every night that all their clients' portfolios will never shrink. When the portfolios do not increase, the advisors are trained to dance around your questions about the decline. Some clients, when they see a decline in their portfolio's value, move the portfolio to another investment advisor. This is probably a wasted exercise. The results will probably be no better than they were with the previous investment advisor. It is substituting one shark for another shark. Miss Innocence had been a typical uninformed investor. She was almost too embarrassed to tell me that she had regarded banks and churches with the same reverence. Her investment advisor and her priest were put on the same pedestal of respect. 
She saw investment advisors as saintly individuals whose integrity and selflessness were beyond question. While I am not aware of any investment advisor destined for sainthood, they may exist. I just have not met any. The ones I have met seem to see the purpose of life as being the shifting of as much as possible of the client's wealth into their and the bank's pockets. When an investment advisor is striving to make you believe they are knowledgeable investment experts, one obvious question to ask to bring that advisor down to earth is, why are you still working? If the purpose of investing is to reach a state of financial independence, why, with such expertise, are they still working? Why would an investment advisor endure the corporate politics, the pressure to produce sales, daily commutes, rejection by prospective clients, complaints from unhappy investors, and all the other demands that are put upon them? Are they masochistic? Is it that no matter how much money an investment advisor may acquire, that they are still greedy for more? As a follow-up question, ask, how much money do you have invested in your portfolio? Do not be surprised to find out they have less invested than you do. If they give an evasive answer or you doubt what they are saying, ask them to send you a copy of their portfolio's last statement so you can gain insight into their investment strategy. If the investment advisor balks at this invasion of his financial privacy, you might remind him that this is what he expects you to do. Should you be entrusting your life savings to an investment advisor who would not be willing to be open about their own investments? Do you have any other choice but to employ an investment advisor to manage your portfolio? Yes, you do have a choice. You can manage your own self-directed investment portfolio. The objective of this book is to show you how to invest safely and wisely in shares of public corporations that pay dividends. It does not have to be complicated or beyond your ability to identify a good investment from a bad one. Just as Miss Innocence learned how to do it, you too will be able to explain why you chose each stock in your portfolio. You will learn how to find investments that are most likely to grow while paying you a regular dividend income. While I will show you how it is done, I will never make a buying decision for you. That is your responsibility. You will understand how to weigh the options and determine from the thousands of investments available which stocks suit you best. You will learn to have faith in your investment decisions. Never again will you be able to accept without question an investment proposal with which you are being presented. Now you'll be able to ask intelligent questions about investment recommendations. If you have less than 250000 to invest, expect to be shunted to a rookie investment advisor. According to the Ontario Securities Commission, most small investors would rarely be in contact with their advisors more than once a year. Many would have no contact, yet they are paying for investment advice. 
How often through embedded compensation schemes such as trailing commissions and mutual funds would you not be better off managing your own investments? Miss Innocence made the decision to transfer her large full-service portfolio from her old bank to a self-directed investment account in a new bank. Because she is a nice person, she worried about hurting the feelings of her long-time investment advisor at the old bank. This, despite no longer trusting him and believing he'd been milking her portfolio for tens of thousands of dollars in questionable fees for years. I warned Miss Innocence to stay away from investment advisors at the new bank. They would be no different from the investment advisor she was leaving. Despite my warning, a nice young man in the branch immediately arranged for her to meet with the branch's designated investment advisor. She assured me that he must be a good advisor because he was a vice president with a long list of important sounding designations on his business card. Miss Innocence was made to feel very important at the new bank branch. 99% of the population would not have the wealth she was bringing to them. She enjoyed the attention. Although she had made it very clear to the new bank that she only wanted a self-directed investment account, she still felt she had to be polite and meet with the financial advisor. She asked me what harm could there be. I warned her again these were not her friends. She smiled tolerantly at me, at my cynicism. To transfer a portfolio from one bank to another bank should take no more than two or three days. The bank receiving the portfolio starts the transfer process. They request the new client sign documents that allows them to handle the transfer on their behalf. You leave the transfer in their capable hands. The client has no need to ever gain, be involved with the bank they are leaving. When setting up a self-directed investment account, there is no need to be involved with any bank staff. It can be set up online. However, you will first need a checking account. This may require you to go into the bank branch, but it's also possible to open a checking account online. The checking account is necessary as a place to deposit the money that you will be transferring in and out of your self-directed trading account. The new bank can save you money if they handle the transfer of your portfolio from the old bank. The old bank would charge thousands of dollars in cancellation fees to liquidate your investment holding. Enormous capital gain tax charges might also be incurred. If it is a straight transfer of the contents of a portfolio from one bank, to another bank, you'll avoid any costly surprises. This is something to confirm with the new bank before you make a transfer. The transfer of Miss Innocent's portfolio did not go as expected. Once the financial advisor got involved, waving a very large portfolio in front of a financial advisor is like waving raw red meat in front of a shark. Three months after first asking the new financial advisor to make the transfer, thousands of the dollars had still not appeared. It resulted in a draft of the following letter. I've altered the names. 
to protect them. Dear President, re-ethics of full-service sales. On December 17th, I went to the bank branch to inquire about transferring my investment account to your bank. I was referred to a Mr. Bird Dog. In a 45-minute meeting, we discussed the transfer of my full-service investment account to your bank. I expressed with Mr. Dog that I no longer wanted a full-service account because, number one, my derived income from the investment was not enough to carry the unnecessary expense of advisor fees. Two, I wanted total control over my investments. Mr. Dog said that he knew just the right person to help me with the transfer. He assured me the transfer would only take one to three days. It still is not complete as I write this letter almost three months later. An appointment was set up with Mr. Big Shark, Vice President. I was asked to bring a void check to this meeting and I was assured the check would not be retained. Before I left, Mr. Dog opened a saving account and a self-directed investment account for me. I immediately transferred $4,500 into this investment account. On December 22nd, I met with Mr. Dog and Mr. Shark. Mr. Dog attended the meeting and copied some papers I had brought, detailing my investments at my previous bank. Mr. Shark launched into a sales spiel about the advantages of having an investment advisor. I wonder if Mr. Dog had not informed him that I did not want a full-service investment account. He asked me if I had a will, plus powers attorney for both financial and personal. He then pushed me to meet with the person who handled the will and powers of attorney for his clients, so I could decide after that what was best. The legal papers that my lawyer had recently drawn up for me were perfectly in order. I did not appreciate being pressured by investment advisors who are trying to run up billable fees. Mr. Shark was supposed to be there to assist me in transferring my money to the new self-directed trading account, not trying to overwhelm me with financial jargon and canned investment strategies that I neither understood nor was interested in. At this point, I wondered if I had made a mistake in following my friend's advice to do my investing with your bank's self-directed account. The day after the first meeting, I asked Mr. Dog to remind Mr. Shark that I was not interested in seeing a third person regarding wills and trusts, nor did I wish a full-service account. He assured me he would make this very clear to Mr. Shark. A second meeting was held with Mr. Shark. The purpose remained to expedite the transfer of my entire portfolio. I signed one document to authorize the transfer to my self-directed investment account. I confirmed with Mr. Shark that the document's sole purpose was to transfer the portfolio to the self-directed investment account that had already been established. I do not read all the small print on all the pages but Mr. Shark assured me in the presence of Mr. Dog that he would not do anything without first consulting me. I checked daily. It took 10 days, not the two or three I had expected, 
before I saw money appearing in my investment account. It was only when I was ready to sell one or two funds that I discovered that I did not have the sell and the buy buttons in my portfolio. I asked my friend who had been trading in a self directed account for 20 years, why it appeared I could not sell the funds. He said, the buttons are always there on a self-directed account. I sent him a photo of my holding screen to confirm there were no options to sell or buy. He told me that something was not right and to go back to the branch. Several times I went to the branch and discussed this problem with Mr. Dog. My money seemed to be there, but I could not transfer or do anything with it. I do not understand why Mr. Dog did not explain to me what was occurring. I assume his loyalties are to Mr. Shark and not to the bank's customers. Getting nowhere with Mr. Dog, I phoned the self-directed service helpline. This is where I learned that Mr. Shark had converted my self-directed investing account into a full-service investment account, contrary to my directions and wishes. During one of our meetings, I had asked, just out of curiosity, what Mr. Shark's fee would be for handling my account. He had said that while their normal rate was 1.2% of the portfolio per annum, he was prepared to lower his fee to 1%. I interpreted this to mean that on my portfolio, he expected to receive a significant five-figure amount every year for service that I did not need. One reason I severed my relationship with the last bank's full-service investment account was because I had become aware that for more than 10 years, unbeknownst to me, my investment advisor had been annually taking out of my investment account thousands of dollars in transaction fees. This was over and above the flat percentage fee I had also been paying him each year. This was just one reason I no longer wanted anyone but myself to have access to my investment account. For many years, I owned a successful retail business with several branches. This brought me in touch with many unethical, short-sighted salesmen who thought this little old lady was easy pickings. Greed is a terrible thing. I had a third meeting with Mr. Shark and Mr. Dog. Following it, the account was changed back so I could now buy and sell in my self-directed investment account. I made it known to Mr. Shark and Mr. Dog that I was not only angry, but also shocked that your bank would allow an advisor to change a self-directed trading account into his full-service account without the customer's, customer's authorization. What control does your bank have to stop an investment advisors from doing this? I understood the Ontario Securities Commission had very strict guidelines on unauthorized access to a client's funds. To further add to the problem, Mr. Shark had taken the liberty of opening five additional full-service accounts for me. Why? I do not know. For weeks I have been demanding that these accounts be removed from my profile, yet they are still there. Dividends and cash for the sale of one of my funds have been one of them, but was it inaccessible to me? This has obviously delayed stock purchases I wish to make. When I found your helpline, they were not able to arrange access to this money. Finally, 
a regional manager was assigned to help me. He was under the impression that I was seeking investment webinars. I made sure he understood that what I wanted was order and clarity in my investment holdings. Since then, I've called this regional manager and other departments repeatedly trying to determine what happened to my January payments. Not a single cent in income from my investments in January has been received. One of the advisors stated that Mr. Shark had reinvested the January dividends once again without any authority to do so. When I asked the advisor how that was possible, he told me that it was not his place to comment on what Mr. Shark had done. I would have thought that he would have reported my concerns to authorities high enough in the bank's hierarchy to resolve a customer's concern about a bank employee's questionable ethics. Perhaps you would like to explain to me what Mr. Shark has done and whether you condone it. Not only am I concerned, but other investors I am associated with who have multi-million dollar portfolios are also concerned. I am constantly being told by your staff not to worry that my money is safe. Is it? Why in March am I still waiting to have access to my January payments and the two outstanding ones for February? Please explain to me why I and my friends should not consider transferring our portfolios to another financial institution. I wrote the above earlier in the week. Today is March 2nd. The expected money dividends and payments have finally started to appear in my account. However, I'm still waiting for the two February payments and all the January payment payments to appear. I look forward to your intervention and clearing up this matter and to your assurances that no one but I have access to my account. Sincerely, Miss Innocence. I'd help Miss Innocence with this letter. It was not sent. Why was it not sent? Because Mr. Shark would have been praised by the bank for his aggressiveness. As far as his manager would be concerned, Mr. Shark was doing his job. Although Miss Innocence swore that she never signed a bar document to become a full-service client, she did admit she had signed some documents that she did not read. Her verbal instructions were ignored. Mr. Shark, while dishonest, would have been too experienced and too careful to treat Mrs. Innocent as a full-service client without having her signature on a document. You are warned. Stay away from bank investment advisors when you open a self-directed investment account. I will continue with Chapter 4 next week. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com.